Okay, we're beginning Daphnun Aleph. We're actually starting on the very last line of Daphnun Amid Base, based on the statement that we do mention the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim at night, which we're familiar with every night when we say Kriyashma. That is, in every Gullus, which is comparable tonight, because every Gullus is a form of Gullus Mitzrayim. So we mention the idea of the Geulah, like we say in the Pasuk, like the days when I took you out of Mitzrayim, I will show you wonders. That just like Gullus Mitzrayim was this harsh labor with the mortar and bricks. So too, every gullus, even if it's not exactly the same way and the same form, but as we alluded to earlier in the previous Mimer, these are references to Chaymer through the analysis of Torah and Levainim through trying to decipher halacha and so forth. Next paragraph on, on the right-hand side on uh, Nun Aleph, in order to understand this, we say in Haggadah <clears throat> that they embittered the lives of our fathers in the triumph. Now, what is the idea of Avois? These are the Midas of Ave Yira, because <clears throat> Ave Yira and Rachmanis, uh, love and fear and, and reverence and compassion are driven by the intellect, Chachma and Bina, when they think about the infinity of Hashem. And then the Das, that we can apply this idea that there's nothing else besides Hashem in the heavens above and the earth below, not to the highest level, not to the lowest level, and to all four corners. That in our sense of Seichel and understanding, we arouse the Midas. This is the maturing of the Midas, that the intellect engages the Midas within every one of us. Whether it's Abba or it's Yira, they're all there in an undeveloped form in our natural neshama. And we evoke them, develop them, and nurture them through the intellect. And so too, the Jewish people attach all of the, these, the names of Hashem, who are called Bas Nadiv Bita Shalav Ramavit the daughter of Nadiv, who was the daughter of Avramavim. Why was he called, I'm sorry, the daughter of Nadiv, who was meaning the daughter of Avramavim. Why is Avramavim called Nadiv? Because he was a man of chesed who was misnaded. He was a donor. He was a giver. He gave chesed to all the worlds, the higher worlds and the lower worlds. And therefore he's called our father. And just like a father biologically passes on his genes to his children, so too our spiritual fathers pass on their character to us. But since we have this thing called Bechira, we have choice. And we can do the opposite, even of our instinct, we can do the opposite of even loving Hashem. So we, what our mission is, is to identify and to awaken that love for Hashem. It's there, but it could become lost. And this is what Shlomo HaMelech refers to in Shir Hashirin, when he says, wake it, yes, wake it. How do we waken the love for Hashem? That's through Kol the voice of my beloved is knocking. And this is what our sages say, that the men of Yerichai would, um, would, would bundle the Shema. That is, they would say, Shema Yisrael Hashem HaKenu Hashem Echad They wouldn't say Baruch Sheh. Why? Because they had the capacity, right, to go from Echad, that Hashem is the only existence, all the way down to MS, that there's nothing else. It happened instantaneously once they made the declaration that the only existence is Hashem. They automatically had this great drive and passion to be connected with Hashem. That is Avas Hashem. And this went all the way through to Emes. And then the next paragraph, which begins, which is the translation of Emes into uh, Aramaic, which is, again, that it's the same Emes, whether it's in Lashon Kodesh, in Holy Hebrew, or it's in uh, the physical, in Targum, in, in Aramaic. Why? Because there's nothing else other than Hashem. But all of this is effectuated through the analysis of um, the infinity of Hashem. That is, we engage our intellect, and that engagement of the intellect 
stirs up the midos of love and Hashem that they should be revealed. Again, it's innately there as we've inherited it from our ancestors and it can become lost and we need to awaken it and the way in which we awaken it is through uh, the intellect. However, what if a person doesn't yet have a developed intellect to this level? What is his amuna? Simply to cry, what, how's, what, how's he going to arouse this love? It's through his amuna that he should simply cry out to Hashem during the davening like the Pasuk says, he should cry out. And the call, the voice of crying out, will arouse this tavana and this uh, revelation of this love that is there all along. Because it's down in the level called Mitzrayim. Again, Mitzrayim meaning it is compressed from the Chachma. And it's not making its way through the throat, which as we learned in the previous Mimer, is the Mitzrayim, it is the narrows. And this is the idea that Yaakov had to leave Beersheba and come to Haran when he ran away from Esau. Because the level of Gorin and Haran, the level of this narrowness, it's all really one. Meaning he went there, it wasn't an opposition. And this is the bitterness that they embittered the lives of our fathers in Egypt. That the passion of the Midas should be compressed and squeezed into Mitzrayim. And through this, they became embittered. For if they would have had the level only of Beersheba, so Beersheba is sweet and beautiful. And this is why Hashem says, yes, in fact, I will go down. Meaning me, my very self, my Savior of Kolam, in that level that is called MS, that level of, uh, of non-differentiated characteristic of Hashem, which we ask the question, what does it mean Hashem says, I'll go there? He's, he's everywhere. But he will come down, so to speak, because the, or, or, or manifest in the Gili of Elikos, even in the Mitzrayim. And that's because we are Amcha, we are his people. Like it says, when I am exiled, uh, when we were exiled to Edom, Hashem came with us. And nobody's innate natural amuna was left behind because a Jew simply by the very narrow character of his existence is a believer, the son of a believer, even when he's in Gullus. Like it says, the people believe. However, it's not the same when you hear about it versus when you see it. This is a revelation of godliness the way it was at Matan when they saw it, they mamish saw it. And at that level, Gullus has no stature at all. It's revealed. But in the level of Mitzrayim, it's only like it's heard. So in Matan Torah, it was evident. And, uh, and at, um, at, um, uh, uh, in Mitzrayim, it was only heard. Next paragraph, bottom right-hand side. Now here is where we have the problem, that we get distracted. All the things that confuse us in our davening, as we know. And those are essentially our averas, which stand between us and Hashem. What then is our counter to that? is simply to have Rachmanis, not Rachmanis on ourselves. Because the more I think about myself, the more I know what I deserve and what I don't deserve. And now what I should and, and, and what I should daven for and, and how much how necessary it is. But rather we should return to Hashem and ask Hashem for Rachmanis for himself, for the Shekhinah, that the, the godliness that gets lost in all of my distracted thoughts and all of these dirty garments that I am piling on, this part of godliness that is entrusted to me. And this should make me sad and a little annoyed at myself. And through this, I will throw off these filthy garments and I will reveal the glory of Hashem, top of the left-hand column. Like it says in Tillim, he shines in the darkness, a light for the straight ones. And meaning that it arouses that light, that love. That I have a compassion upon my poor neshama that's stuck in all my nakshavas others. And this is what it means when it says, thus she should say to Yaakov, who released Avram, because the characteristic of Yaakov, which is to have Rachmanis, the third of the three 
Avoy. So Avram is Chesed, Yitzchak is Gevura, and Yaakov is uh, Tiferes or Rachmanes. So what happens when our love for Hashem, which is represented by Avram, becomes trapped in all of our distraction? It comes along the characteristic of Yaakov, which is Rachmanes, and that releases him. And this is what it means that they embitter our lives. Like the Pasuk says, that through the exile, the, 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 the exile of the Holes of Mitzrayim, we have to have different strategies. How we cry out to Hashem to be sad and, and, and bitter about our soul, that is on the godliness that is trapped within us, which is our primary life source. But the life of this physical world is not called a life. And that's why it's such a hard avoida, because we were consumed purely with the Gashmas. The avoida of the heart is to daven, to cry out to Hashem, to cry out because God is trapped. That is, he's from the loftiest of levels, and he's been scrunched down into this physical world. And this is why davening is described as a double-edged sword, that it can cut away at the klipa, and it can cut away at all the taiva, that these are all the pylons that distract us from Hashem, that just like a sword made of iron can stand up even against something as harsh as stone, and it will crack the stone without harming itself. But if it has a lesser degree, uh, quality of iron, it will the, then when you try to cut the stone with the iron, it will break. So too, davening has to be harsh. It has to be determined. And that's what the Aveda Kasha is, the harsh labor in a, in, in a godly sense, is that we should be doggedly determined in our davening, to cry up uh, to Hashem. And not allow ourselves to be distracted by anything internally or externally. And to break down all of those klipas and all of those taivas. And have our heart broken open. Not broken as in disappointed. But it should melt uh, like, a, like a stone can melt. Even the stone heart. And this is what the difficulties of Gullus are about. But when we have the Beis Hamikdash, Then davening isn't as necessary. Because godliness is more evident and accessible through the intellect. That, that in that way, we can arouse our love for Hashem. Last paragraph on the page. So to an Indian of Torah, the time of Gullus, we're dealing with brick and mortar, like we said. And the idea is that this is a reference to the study of Torah. The Pasek in Shira Shirin that talks about the 60 queens and the 80 concubines and the multiple young maidens that the Zayar explains. These refer to, this, to, to the, the, the volumes of, of the Talmud. They will refer to the Brises, they refer to the Halachas, and they're all one, my dove, my perfect one. Meaning my perfect one, that it's the it's a total shlemus. It's absolutely perfect. And we are considered the children of Hashem, and the child is like the lap of his father. That is, because of the revelation of this unification of Hashem, even in the highest worlds, because all of the hosts of the worlds bow down before Hashem in actuality. But in the lower worlds, down here, in the in the difficulties of life, <clears throat> we have the idol worshippers and the rebellious ones. And yet, who can there be like the Jewish people who stand strong to unify their hearts and to submit themselves to the will of Hashem? Um, just like the human body, that all of our limbs have their own identity, but each one of them are constantly uh, uh, adherent to the direction of the whole body. But if, God forbid, one would be separated, one limb or even one fingernail would be separated from the body, it would no longer be considered part of the body. So too within the nefesh of the person. 
they, even though it has this desire to sort of break away, this sort of negative desire to break away from Hashem. But in, then it's like, God forbid, the person's body part breaks away from him. It, it, it's forfeited and it's lost from the whole body. But one who wishes to be attached to Hashem, again, like the body part, has to play along. It has to be buckled to it. And has no independent agenda. Like Hashem says, I don't have anything in heaven or anything else. I only want you. And, uh, and this is what uh, is described as, or, or why we describe it as my perfect ones. Now, through us making our effort down here, Hashem responds. Like we know, I am to my beloved. That is, we cry out to Hashem. We arouse within ourselves this great passion for godliness, to create a nachas for Hashem, to create simcha for Hashem, um, like the psukim support. And this is the whitening that we go through, which is the kedusha form of the labor with bricks, the word for bricks being similar to the word for the whitening, for the discovery of godliness that even though we are black and dirty, yet there is still something that is desirous about us. The Tereshavah even though it's so complicated and it is like black, that is, it's a whole tangle uh, and so hard because it speaks about material things. It speaks about the laws concerning agriculture. It speaks about financial disputes. But in its essence, even though it's so complex and it appears to be black in the sense that it's hard to discover the godliness, we can keep digging, and we will, in fact, find the godliness. This is, in fact, God's work, God's will. Like it says, it is chachma, but it's not the chachma yidi. It's not a chachma that we can simply master, like we can master um, technical prowess. And this is the libon hilchasa, the whitening out on the top now of page nun aleph on the base, that it appears like it's black. It appears so complicated, like the Talmud often does. And we have to dig and dig until we can find it. And that's where the true simcha is, that we find Hashem's will within whatever convoluted circumstance this is. And we are mevatel ourselves to it. We don't seek anything else other than it. And this is what it means when it says, rise up, my beloved one, my beautiful one, and I will come to you. That is to you, to yourself. Because the Jews were the whole purpose which Hashem created the world in order that they be subsumed within the infinity of Hashem. And through this, we arouse above this level of whitening that is a, re a revelation of clarity from Hashem, that there should be a joy, just like when a person's face is joyous, it's bright, uh, like we say Hashem should shine His face upon us, that when we will be, will be willing to dig through the difficult circumstances that deal with monetary things and matters that don't seem to be evidently godly, that we will find the godliness, Hashem will respond in kind. <clears throat> that we arouse this uh, revelation from Hashem, that he acts to us as we act to him, as water reflects the face that is looks into it. And this is the whole purpose of this revelation that will be in the times of Mashiach. Then we will see godliness eye to eye like it was in Matan Torah, and even greater, because Matan Torah was a temporary circumstance, and Mashiach will be a permanent circumstance, will never be interrupted. It is eternally. And now, in the times of Gullis, we have to work, and it's a lot of work to entrench within our heart this genuine simcha of Hashem, which is achieved through the discovery of the whitening of the laws. And in the times of Mashiach, we will see godliness more evident. Next paragraph on the right-hand column. So, too, in all of the work in the field, again, the description of the servitude of Mitzrayim, that this is a reference to the Bryces. Remember, the Bryces were lessons that were not incorporated into the Mishnah. They were outside. And again, 
sort of like suggesting this idea of something that is external, is outside, that is the Mishnah, is called the inner organs, Avarim, and the Bryces are like the external organs. And anything that is taught in the Bryce is alluded to in the Mishnah. And this is what we have uh, references to, to support this idea, meaning that it is like an extension of his hand, the, the, the um, further illustration of an idea from a Mishnah to be explained in greater detail in the Brisa. That you can't learn the, you shouldn't have to just learn the Brisa by itself because it's subsumed within the Mishnah. But since we can't always decipher it, so we need it spelled out for us a little bit more. Uh, and that's why he did us uh, this favor, <laughs> so to speak, and they dispatched the true Chachma and the true Bina so that we can understand the Brisa that's within the Mishnah. If we truly saw the godliness, we'd see it in the Mishnah directly. But uh, we, we don't. We need also to be engaged with the Brisa because it fleshes out the Mishnah that much more. That's the Avoid of Asada. That's the spiritual side of what's described in Mitzrayim as being the service of the field going out. Like we bring wheat into the house that we planted out in the field <clears throat> outside of the city. So too, we engage ourselves in the Brisa and we're really discussing matters that already are subsumed within the Mishnah, but we don't see it that way because of our inability to identify this idea within the Mishnah itself. Now, the ultimate purpose of Gullis, of course, is that we go down to go up even stronger to have a greater revelation of godliness in the times of Mashiach. This is what we emphasize when we say, Kol Deidi, the voice of my beloved, it comes and it skips. That is, from above to below, over the mountains, just like when a person skips from mountain to mountain. He goes in great distances in one uh, swoop. Similarly, these lofty mountains are the concepts of chesed in the spiritual world of Atzilus, a total awareness of Hashem. Mamish the chesed of Hashem, the, the Mimer says, with an absolute intense revelation. And this is Sarusa de Leila, this stimulus that we initiate through the, I'm sorry, that Hashem initiates, through the awakening that we initiate, even though there are all kinds of levels in between, we jump and leap over these uh, hills. And the hills are a reference to our imois, our mothers. And just like the, the, the mountains are fathers and the hills are mothers, so it's a, that dynamic of the, the contribution of the father then developed within the mother that even if a person doesn't yet have this passionate love for Hashem, however, when he sees and he hears <coughs> the davenings of others, he is inspired by them. Regarding which our, uh, the Mishnah says, that on three matters does the world stand, on Torah, meaning davening, and acts of kindness, that these are the way in which we <coughs> organize our midas, our relationship between ourselves and Hashem, and between us and other people. Now, in the idea of tyrants, we've already explained how these are in the level of gullus. Now we're also going to explain how do we correct our midas through the process of gullus. This is what it says in the Pasuk, in the description of the labor in Mitzrayim, all the service that they serve, all the labor that they labor. That avoida is with them and within them. That is, like the labor to correct our midas. As uh, anybody who's ever experienced when he tries to change his character from one extreme to another, it's a lot of work. It's very hard to change our common path. It's very hard to change our natural proclivities. This is genuine avoida, like when you take the rough, gruff uh, hide of an animal 
and you work it and you turn it into a very soft uh, leather, this is illustrative of the labor that is necessary for a person to engage in in order to transform their character from its natural state into a more refined spiritual state. Final paragraph of this mimer on the bottom right-hand side. What then is the recommendation for this? So it says, Bethera, they work them with bitterness. But now we explain two ways. One is that it's a lot of work. <laughs> you push it. You know, what do you got to do? You got to work hard. And not just because it's the work is hard, but like our sages say regarding Paroi, Bethera, that he gave unnatural work, work that women were more skilled at, he gave for men, and so on that even though it may seem less laborious, but it was difficult for them because it was out of their uh, routine. It was something they were not accustomed to. And so too, in the changing and the, and the correcting of our midas of love and fear between a person and Hashem, both in avoiding the negative and in pursuing the positive, a person has to change his routine and change his character. That's one interpretation that it's taka difficult, like the difficulty of men doing work that, that uh, is more naturally fit for women and women for men. It's not about an objective measure of the work. It's about the discomfort because, of, because it is out of their routine. What's another interpretation? It's pe-rach, two words, a soft mouth. And this is that a person should take to heart that characteristics like anger, jealousy, haughtiness, etc. This is uh, uh, what he needs to distill. That is not his friend's anger, but even the anger that exists within him. That is all midos that come from the essential characteristic of Gevura. That he, he needs to soften them. He needs to just be a softer person, a pet rah, a softer person, and thus he will uh, forestall all of those other characteristics, anger, jealousy, etc. That concludes this mind. The, the rest of this daf continues on on the a new mimer, and the this new mimer begins with the quote that Hashem says to Moshe when Moshe was demurring and saying, "How can I go? I'm not a man of words." So Hashem said, "And who gave man a mouth?" So now we want to understand what does Moshe mean when he says, "I'm not a man of words. I am of heavy of mouth." And this that Hashem said, and who placed a mouth? that this whole thing seems bizarre. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that Hashem gave mouths to people. So what's going on? So we say, it's understood based on what we say in the Sefer called Hatmuna, that this is um, the, the, the um, Olam of Shemitah Shnia V'lefanah. And he explains that there was a Shemitah and it was drawn down from Chesed. And now there's another Shemitah. Again, he explains that there were the 6, 000, second 6,000 years of the world. Once it went through it and it was destroyed, and this is a new one. In other words, this is from the second Midah, the Midah of Pachat, Midah of reverence. And therefore, it's a world where things are difficult and harsh. That is, that there was the destruction of the first and the second base Hamidah. That is, that first Tukufa, that first series called the Shemitah, that came from a time of Chesed, when the, it was a different type of avoda, and there was taira, and that was also in a different way, and it was all evidently good and so forth. So too does the Sefer Tumuna describe, and all the other mikubalim follow this that they deduce from here that there has to be another five shmitois, another five of these uh, um, stages, because there has to be a total of 
seven shmitas, seven of these time frames that parallel the seven midas that we're familiar with. But the Arizal disagrees on this. And he says that we learn that there are this that they, they demand that there be, or they, they say it's necessary, that there be five more. That is, there were the ones of Torah, the ones of the Pati Migdash, now there needs to be five more. In this, that the Olam Haza has to be in this, uh, this new Shemitah, even though he holds this way. And he says that's why Torah begins with Abayis, Baratius, to tell us that there already was a whole pre existence before creation. And creation that we are familiar with starts level two. That's why Torah begins with a base. But the Arizal says, no, no, this doesn't mean that there was a physical world like there is now with the heaven and earth and minerals and vegetables and animals and people. That, that's only in this time. But what it means is that there was a world, the world of Toyo. There was the concept of chaos. There were the seven earlier kings of Toyo that died in these ideas of spiritual spheres, as we know. And now we have a world of uh, the Tukufa, the time frame, the Shemitah, again, using that term, of a world that's organized. Next paragraph. Now, we know that there are two Nishamas from the first Shemitah, the first time. That is, from the world of Toyu, where then there was chaos. Before this world of Tikkun, where there's basic functionality that came down to this world, which is this level of Tikkun. And there are two neshamas who came from that previous world and were injected into this world. One was Chanoich and the other was Moshe. By Chanoich, it says in Parshas that Chanoich walked with Hashem. That is, he had already walked with Hashem. He had been here already in that first iteration, in that pre-creation that we know creation. And so too by Moshe that it says he was drawn from the water. In other words, he's been here already. He was drawn out. From that level of water, he was he already existed in that world, that whole other world, that world of chesed. From there, he was drawn out into our current circumstance. And the primary descent into this world is in order to fix it up, because its, its source is far greater uh, than the neshamas of this world. So these neshamas have to parachute into this world to, to save it. <clears throat> they have to bring down this greater level of bittel than there was in that earlier world. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who said, the ultimate level of Bittu, what am I? Moshe is described in Torah as the humblest of all men. And he saw the loftiest neshamas that came before, like Hanoich and Lemach. And therefore he came, Moshe came from that earlier iteration of creation into this iteration of creation in order to correct. And Hanoich was before the, the generation of the flood, when the world was at its, as low as could possibly be, that Hashem said, that's it, I've had it with all creation. And therefore, Hanoich came down to this world, so it shouldn't go back to total toil, total chaos. It should only be a model. Not, Hashem doesn't destroy the world. He only cleanses the world. And there's still a carryover with Noach and his children. But had Hanoich not been there, the world would have been completely destroyed, even Noach and his children, instead of, quote, only cleansed and washed. And Moshe came down to do the same thing. Now, in this difference, we, this is the final paragraph on the page, in the difference between Toyu, that preceding iteration, and Tikkun, the way we have it now, that Toyu, there was no process. There weren't what's called Patsufim. There weren't any systems. There was just the 10 spheres as points. And just as a point has no depth, length, or breadth, there was only the Nakuda of Chesed, the Nakuda of Buddha. They weren't yet divided up into 
length and breadth and depth. It was simply like a point uh, that doesn't have any specific identity, but it was ready to become chesed or ready to become gevura. Okay, that ends uh, this page. Thank you.